Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the paediatric medical education podcast. Remember, you can hear our entire back catalogue of episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and of course our SoundCloud. So please tell your colleagues and friends and hit that subscribe button. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ian Lewins, uh, paediatric emergency medicine consultant based in Derby. Uh, and today, I'm very pleased to say we've got a dentistry special as we're joined by uh, Jessica Talbot and Lucy Brown, who are both uh, specialist registrars in paediatric dentistry based up in Hull and Leeds. Uh, good afternoon. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, so it's really nice when people contact us to say, oh, we'd like to, to come on and chat about stuff. Um, why did you get, I guess my first question would be, why did you get in touch? What, what's, and what do we, you know, dentistry, that's, that's totally separate alien country to us in paediatrics. So, so why did you get in touch? Um, so I um, have recently completed uh, my fellowship. So I was actually using your podcast as revision on my long drives to work. Um, and I suppose having done multidisciplinary teaching course recently, I've become acutely aware that um, lots of doctors do find dentistry a really alien topic and often ask me questions that we would consider to be um, relatively routine or day to day. And so I think as a specialty now, paediatric dentistry are getting better at trying to use platforms and highlight some of the issues that we're having and how we can work um, with our medical colleagues to do it. And so the podcast just seemed like a good platform um, to approach, really. Yeah. And I was just thinking about it, thinking about my sort of medical training and dentistry and oral health. And I'm really struggling. There is a distinct possibility I could have been asleep in the lectures, but I, I really struggled to sort of think what training I got in dentistry and oral health at medical school yeah I, I think I my, my understanding from the colleagues that I had when I was at university is that unfortunately it is relatively limited um I know the um chief dental officer for England is keen and promoting at the moment putting the mouth back in the body and I think that probably needs to happen from medical school onwards to help yeah. in the future and, mm. and um I know definitely there's probably moves towards that but I think it's kind of dental need to take responsibility for it as well as it coming from the medical profession to try and ensure that there's perhaps greater understanding across the board. And I think certainly in paediatrics, it's something that we recognise is maybe we've been sort of overlooking dental health and oral health for quite a while. And it's, it's gained a bit of prominence, and a bit of traction at the moment. Um, and we'll, we'll come on to those. But I guess the, the first thing I'd ask you guys about is... I guess the commonest thing that I might see in my practice in the children's emergency department is the avulsed tooth. Uh, and I've kind of got in my mind what advice I give to parents and families if a tooth comes out. Um, and I think I've got it right. But but what would what advice do you give to parents? So if a tooth gets knocked out at home, what do you say to them to do? So the first thing we would say is put the tooth back in. What, whatever circumstance it is, pay put the tooth back in the socket um, and we kind of say scooped out bit as Lucy aptly described the scooped out part goes by the palate so the smooth bit goes by the lip and that is all that you need to do 
and then head to kind of to to A and E while you're in A and E to the dentist. But the most important thing is to get it back in because once the longer that you leave it outside of the mouth, the poorer the prognosis is. Um, if you can't get it in for any reason, you know, patients are really uncooperative. There's there's lots of yeah. swelling you don't feel confident that's okay um but we want to store it so it, we, the, the key is that we don't want to leave it dry for too long because then the cells on the outside of the root start to die so put storing it in something like milk is always great <coughs> we store it in yeah alternatively um it can be stored in saliva um and as a last resort water although that would never really be the recommended storage medium yeah. so um, and then really Sorry. Yeah, so so milk is the one that I've often sort of. If you can't put it in the mouth, milk's not bad. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, milk is definitely yeah, definitely a friend. It's the best kind of the next best thing that you can do. Okay, um, and the other thing I'm sure I've I've been told is make sure you try not to handle the root of the tooth as much as possible, um, because that 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 sort of poorer prognosis. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So the cells that live on the outside of the tooth are really delicate. Um, they don't react well to either being dry or being handled so you want to hold what we call the crown which is the part of the tooth that you'd see in someone's mouth and that's the bit you want to hold as you push it back in okay so we're trying to put the tooth in the mouth as much as possible failing that milk does it matter do you, do you sort of is there a time critical approach to this does it after a certain time you go oh we can't fix this sorry uh, yeah, so it's a it's a time critical um, or time dependent injury, definitely. So, um, kind of half an hour is the time frame that we'd really love teeth um, to be back in the mouth within. And um, so that's quite short if you consider, you know, um, attendance at a dentist or any. Which is why there's definitely been um, big public health messages for trying to get families to do it themselves. And there's a really good video on the Trauma UK website, um, which kind of explains how to do it. Um, but that said we would almost never put one back in or reimplant a tooth because there's still benefits to doing it. So um, it's in only a very, very rare instance where we wouldn't put a tooth back in after a period of time. So mm -hmm. we would almost always reimplant it, but half an hour is the kind of um, aim really is for it to be back in within that time frame. And I presume this sounds incredibly stupid again, but I presume we're talking about sort of your, your adult teeth. Milk teeth, we're not so worried about. Um, yeah, so milk teeth, the advice would be to not reimplant them um, with a view that you could potentially damage the permanent tooth that was developing underneath it. Um, sometimes that's a bit tricky because families or doctors might not be confident whether or not a tooth is an adult tooth or a baby tooth. Um, so normally you would expect an adult tooth to come through from the age of about six, although that would be relatively young. I think really the take home message should be that if you're worried that it might be an adult tooth to store it in milk and to take yeah. it to the dentist to check. Okay. So, uh, but, but baby teeth, we're not too worried about. Um, how about if um, it, it is a baby tooth and we often see baby teeth that have been hit or chipped. And so the tooth had kind of snapped in half um, what 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 would you do about that? It very much depends on the symptoms, really. I think when it comes to baby baby teeth, particularly anterior teeth, um, we're not in as much of a time frame as we are with adult teeth. Um, but uh, I think if it's starting to cause pain, or there's um, predominantly straight after a trauma, you're going to get 
a discomfort from the soft tissues more often. And then after they've settled down, you might get some sensitivity or pain from the, from the tooth that's been traumatised. I wouldn't be rushing to do anything necessarily in any when it comes to a baby mm. tooth that's been broken. I think it's about signposting them to go yeah. and see their general dentist. The international guidance now would really suggest a a more conservative approach to injuries to baby teeth so long as the child was managing okay and could take out of pain relief and appropriate kind of yeah. fluid and and nutrition on board um but so really an assessment by a dental professional for for baby teeth in that first instance rather than anything else drastic okay um and is there any say if the the child falls over and the tooth is sort of pushed upwards into the gum or downwards into the gum is there any danger that that can, if it's a baby tooth, that that can impact on the way that the, the secondary tooth comes through? Yes, it can do. Depend, it depends on how severe the, the what we call an intrusion or like a luxation, so intrusion pushed in, extrusion pushed mm. out. And then we also say luxation, so that's kind of in any other direction, is, is really. But there is always a risk with movement of a baby tooth that it could hit the adult, the crown or part of the tooth, of the adult tooth. Um, and we war, you know, we warn parents of that when there's primary tooth trauma. And that's kind of the, the biggest warning, really, that we say when there's been a baby tooth that has been traumatised. Um, but we there's... In, in, there's not much that we can do initially really to to manage that until we see the adult tooth come through and that's just a case of it's important in those aspects to have a normal a general dental practitioner and be registered with a general dental practitioner so that they can monitor when those adult teeth come through and then refer accordingly if necessary right oh, that's that's really useful to know so okay we've got some really good advice there um, baby teeth are not too worried about adult teeth. 30 minutes in the mouth ideally or milk as an alternative um i guess yeah. the other thing just to sort of think, think in terms of trauma and, and stuff that, that comes to see us is, is often braces that fall out or braces that get snapped um that, that often come to us occasionally instead of the dentist is there anything in particular that in an ed we need to be doing or, or is it just simply a case of contacting their own dentist or contacting the the on-called max fax team yeah, so I suppose probably the injuries you're perhaps describing come from what are traditionally called like train track braces. So they are metal brackets that are fixed on the teeth with wires in between. And they quite frequently come loose and the, the, tra the trauma often comes from the wire kind of gouging into cheeks or gums. Um, normally signposting them to their normal general dental practitioner or their orthodontist um, would be appropriate. And they should often have kind of emergency cover if... Um, that practice isn't available and um, that said um your helpful max fact department might be able to come and help and just cut wires which just reduces the trauma or something really simple um is just a piece of wax um and sometimes i've even known people use the wax from outside of a baby bell to um, yeah, stick on the end of to stop the trauma <laughs> it's relatively simplistic but um kind of quite often does the trick and just means that that sharp edge won't won't nick in the time that it takes um to, to be seen uh, i love that i th that's definitely going in the, in the knowledge bank of cool stuff to do a you the baby bell right excellent um so i guess that's a little bit about sort of teeth and trauma um I, I, from a i guess also from a general pediatric perspective the big thing that worries us and the big thing that we've maybe neglected is is gum disease tooth decay is that something that is as bad as 
we're kind of led to believe, do you think, at the moment in the UK? Um, yeah, so I suppose I'll start with gum disease. Um, so gum disease um, is probably a condition that's more prevalent in the adult population. So as children's dentists, we do see cases of it, um, but it tends to be an issue that affects um, the adult population more. Um, but dental decay is very much an issue um, in our child population in the UK. So um, on a kind of um, 10 yearly basis, there is a children's oral health survey which looks at how many children in different age groups have decay and we know for example in our five-year-old population that nearly a quarter of them will have obvious dental decay so um, it's a big issue and I suppose more concerning which is gaining some traction as well is that there's a really big issue in that there's a massive disparity in different socioeconomic groups so um, it's really unequal how it's distributed within kind of people and populations Mm. Um, and it's something that I suppose children's dentistry through our national group, the British Society of Pediatric Dentistry, is yeah. trying to gain more um, press for and coverage to try and um, kind of increase support for families. So um, I know they've supported things like the sh- um, sugar tax levy, et cetera, and are, tr- and are still working with um, the Chief Dental Officer for England and other groups to try and um, put other things in place. Things like the Dental by One, driven by BSPD. Um, that they're set, um, they've been promoting that all children by the age of one should be have it should be registered and seen by a dentist. Um, so that falls in line with what you've been saying, Lucy, about um, re- striving to push for children to be seen by a dentist so early on. And often parents don't realise necessarily that they should be seeing a dentist that young because they don't have teeth or they don't have many teeth. But it's more about establishing a routine and starting that prevention early, which is key. And I mean, when you look at these surveys and they are shocking results, really, is this it's obviously multifactorial, but is this largely lack of access to dentists and sugary things in diet, poor diet? Are those the main drivers, do you think, to this? Yeah, I think as you said, it's, it's there's not necessarily a simple solution, but we know that dental decay is um occurs when there's a kind of misbalance between um how much sugar is consumed and the frequency with which sugar is consumed rather than the quantity um and it it, and but we know that access to a dentist also means that children are getting dental decay young and then it's not being treated Mm. early and that then leads to um kind of like bigger issues so that leads to our kind of stats we've got with our five-year-old population so um yes it's it's mainly kind of dietary factors tooth brushing and tooth like oral hygiene definitely affect it we're fortunate now that most of our population would routinely use a fluoride toothpaste but lots of the kind of key very simple oral hygiene messages oral health messages aren't necessarily as widely known as we would perhaps like in the same way that i think the general population would have a better understanding about um obesity so Mm. yeah and I don't know if you know the, the answer to this. Do, does the UK perform sort of particularly badly with regards to dental decay compared to, say, the rest of Europe or our equivalent uh, wealth nations? Um, I think it's quite varied. I think given the kind of wealth of the UK, um, definitely we have issues in terms of treatment of dental decay. Um, 
and I think some of that comes down to act like the access, access that's, and that's also available. experience. Sorry, Lucy, and also experience within. Uh, there's a dis- there's varied experience and confidence in treating children, and children are difficult and can find treatment quite difficult. And also access not only to the dentist but access to have that treatment. A lot of children can't necessarily manage multiple teeth out. Uh, awake so then they're having to have those teeth mm. out under GA and with with that comes not only you need an assessment then you're waiting for a general anaesthetic and those lists are climbing those waiting times are climbing pre-COVID they were long and post-COVID they're even longer so yeah yes yeah. of course and I guess this is something that there's going to be a huge backlog for you guys and a huge catch-up at, at this point in time isn't there yeah, unfortunate. Unfortunately, there is. Um, we know that in the kind of seven to nine year old group, that going off to sleep to have teeth out was the most common reason for hospitalisation. Yeah. Um, so you know, we know that nationally it's a big issue, and um, yeah, over over a hundred thousand hospital admissions for children under the age of ten were due to tooth decay. Um, even though this condition, even though caries decay is almost entirely preventable, it's a vast proportion of hospital admissions are due to decay um and that that is shocking isn't it just just say that again (laughs) uh over a hundred thousand hospital admissions of children under 10 are due to dental decay and of that of of at the age of five nearly all oral sepsis is due to decay and one percent of children experience oral sepsis so and as you say you know entirely preventable entirely preventable yeah. Gosh, that, and you know i think when you sit down and you hear that number and you hear it's the commonest reason for a child to be admitted into hospital is something that's a preventable public health issue we we've mm-hmm. kind of failed a bit here haven't we yeah and i think one of the issues perhaps is that nationally it's culturally acceptable mm-hmm. um it's almost an accepted norm definitely in some of the areas that I've worked in it's accepted that children at a certain point in their childhood will go off to sleep to have teeth taken out and um and some people some children have you you have baby teeth out at a certain age and then they come back later and have their adult first molars taken out a few years later so that's that's normal yeah not not in all families but I think I nationally and potentially culturally it it's not considered as kind of shocking as perhaps it should be um and I think culturally that doesn't that make that means that making change Mm. and kind of changing re-education yeah and re-education is 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 difficult because it does appear you know English are always the or the British people are always the butt of jokes with Americans about having bad teeth and I think to an extent it's an accepted cultural norm which Mm. it shouldn't be And I guess the, the other th- we obviously don't see that so much in the emergency department, but we do see sort of a reasonable number of children presenting with swelling and uh, dental abscesses. Um, is that something that you guys see a lot of? And how do you manage it? Um, yes, unfortunately, it is quite a lot. Um, we do see quite a lot of children with swelling and dental abscesses um, and quite often cro- chronic abscesses that have been present for an extended period of time. Um, I know um, when we did some work in Hull looking at our children that went off to sleep, I think 5% of them had evidence of an infection. 
at the time of their assessment. Mm. So it's really common. Um, in terms of managing it, it depends a bit on the tooth and the child. Um, generally speaking, if there's infection, the tooth is likely to be taken out and the kind of treatment modality for that would depend on the number of teeth that needed yeah. treating at the same time. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that going off to sleep to have teeth out is so common is that we're often not talking about one tooth having decay but about multiple tooth in multiple corners of their mouth and therefore it's a lot to expect a child to manage that mm. awake and that's why our list for general anaesthetic um kind of nationally can be so long yeah. and whenever we see these kids we often um you know, we, we obviously speak to the, the, the maxillofacial or the dentist on call um, and they always ask us to get an OPG. And, and I do love a good OPG because I, I'm always fascinated by the x-rays of the teeth coming through. It was so creepy. Um, what, what is it that they're looking for? Because I look at it and go, I don't know. Um, and then somebody will come along and go, oh, it's clearly this. What, what, what are you guys looking for on the OPG? So we're looking at, general anatomy so from an OPT we can see eyes nose uh, antrums mandible and maxilla um, and all teeth and then we can also see if the the adult teeth and the baby teeth and the presence or absence of those teeth um, so I'm sure Lucy and I probably do a very similar thing. You check all the teeth and check that there's nothing missing, predominantly kind of upper second incisors and second premolars tend to be, if there's going to be missing teeth, they're like the more common teeth to miss. It's not common to be missing teeth, but they're kind of the ones after wisdom teeth. And then we're looking at, now with an OPT, it's really good for kind of a general perspective of a, of a patient's dentition. It's not that useful necessarily for seeing kind of early decay that would be we would take a different type of x-ray for that but where you can see really big cavities or infection it's really helpful so we look at the roots of the teeth and is there any kind of radiolucency around those roots and that gives us an indication of uh, the restorability or can we save these teeth and often if you've got kind of big radiolucencies around baby baby teeth roots or adult teeth roots we predominantly baby we don't we wouldn't try and necessarily save those teeth it would be opting to take them out right. so they're really useful for our, our max wax colleagues if mm. say they've got a child with a swelling who needs to be admitted to have that tooth extracted um we would always be keen for any tooth that had decay in it to be removed at that same same mm. general anesthetic to avoid them needing a repeat in the future with another episode of pain or swelling so yeah um, from our perspective taking those radiographs is really really beneficial and helpful okay now i said opg and you said opt and i'm sure you're right and i'm wrong is, is there a difference between the two no they're used interchangeably oh, <laughs> fine okay well that's good because yeah i'll worry about getting that wrong um okay that's really useful so I'm, these are the thinking of things that, that i see that, that are sort of vaguely teeth related the other thing that you mentioned when you contacted us was to talk a bit about safeguarding and um I was then thinking, well, what what is what about safeguarding in teeth? So, so what what, what were you getting at there? What, what what sort of things do you see? Yeah, um, I suppose we're coming at it from two angles, really. The first, from a kind of like ED perspective, would be that um, when they look back at children who've undergone child protection medicals, a good proportion of them have had um, kind of intraoral or dental injuries that have often been overlooked. Mm -hmm. So, I suppose it's just 
encouraging people to have an index of suspicion and to think about having a brief look in the mouth or asking about dental injuries when they've got other concerns. Um, And secondly, really, um, we're really proud that in Hull, where we work at the moment, there's being a kind of new pilot where um, we see children who are looked after children and um, there's a kind of new pilot to help them access um, general dental practitioners. Mm. So really it's encouraging our medical colleagues to kind of work with our dental colleagues um, so that these children can get the best support they need and um, be seen appropriately. Because often these children move around such a lot, they go to different foster homes or um, different places that often kind of their dental care is overlooked. Mm. Yeah, Um, it's not always always the priority when you've got kind of chaotic chaos and other things going on it dental doesn't seem to be the priority which is understandable when you have other things or um but yeah as you said doctors and dentists working together is great for like kind of holistic point of view for patient-centered care with our children and just taking you back slightly to, to the 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 um sort of oral injuries um and i know when we sort of have children who've had um non-accidental head injuries um, you know, they, they get an ophthalmology review to have a look for retinal hemorrhages. They, they will have a CT head. They'll have a skeletal survey. Um, and, and, you know, we might have a look in the mouth and have a look at the frenulum. Um, but I don't think it's ever something that's occurred to me to sort of think about dental injuries, largely because many of these children don't have teeth yet. But is that something that we should be thinking about as trying to build a picture of, 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 of potential non-accidental injury? Um, yeah, I think that probably um, could be a benefit. It probably would be a gold standard. Um, we know that children who have had non-accident in- injuries would be likely to potentially have intraoral injuries, including teeth. Um, I think from a perspective of if as a kind of medical non-dentally trained professional or a lay person, if there are injuries which are kind of obvious to you, then that probably should be raising concern um as opposed to kind of more discrete injuries which perhaps we would pick up near the time of an injury mm. so i think if there's something that is um acute and obvious to a non-dentally trained professional that hasn't been flagged with an a and e attend you know on that attendance visit yeah um then perhaps that should start to arouse suspicion yeah um and i guess the other th- sort of thought in my mind about child protection and, and issues of neglect is the child I see who's coming with something else, I don't know, fallen over, bumped the head, and you open their mouth and they've got horrible rotten teeth everywhere. Um, Other than sort of flagging them to go and visit a dentist or have you got a dentist? I mean, should we be raising this as an issue of potential neglect, do you think? Yeah, it's really difficult. And it's something that even as specialist paediatric dentists, um, we kind of can grapple with. Um, BSPD have said that dental neglect is a kind of persistent failure to meet child's oral health needs when when parents are aware of them and we think that that's likely to cause a serious impairment to their kind of oral or general health. Um, dental decay can do that, especially when it's affecting multiple teeth. Um, I think it needs to add to your general picture and concerns that there may or may not be about this child. 
I think flagging them to uh, or kind of signposting them to a general dentist is appropriate. And if there's any correspondence with their general medical practitioner or health visitor or school nurse and flagging that, that you noted it. Um, things that kind of would be of concern to us would be repeated episodes for swelling or pain, um, failure to engage with dental care. As I mentioned earlier, if a lay person is noting that there's multiple decayed teeth and perhaps infection, yeah. then that's of more concern that it that it's obvious to you without dental training. Um, so I think signposting, I think we have to take a supportive approach as possible because we understand that access to dental care isn't always easy at the moment and that mm-hmm. there can be long waits or issues with accessing care in terms of going to see a general dentist and families we see often have tried for, you know, at length over a considerable period of time to see someone. But I think really as our medical colleagues stressing the importance of it and signposting them in the right direction is 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 helpful and that's potentially where working with your local colleagues um so that there's um so for example in Yorkshire and the Humber there's been some flexible commissioning to um so that we're able to signpost patients to practices which are accepting yeah. new pediatric patients and so everyone will work in different um, locations but if you had something like such as that available to you locally then having that list in in the emergency department might be really helpful because you can not just suggest that they see a dentist but you can give them a good idea of who they could ring with a better chance of being able to be seen absolutely yeah because there's no point me saying oh you need to go and see a dentist if i can't then signpost them to somebody that they can see um and and i guess that sort of raises another sort of slightly interesting issue is that I, i know on my electronic patient record when a child comes in exactly who their gp is um, so you know, if I've yeah. got concerns, I can contact the GP or I can send information onto the GP. Actually, I have no idea who their dentist is and no idea of, of realistically, unless the patient tells me, oh, it's so-and-so at so-and-so, how to get in touch with them to say, look, I'm a bit worried about this, this patient. So th- there's maybe a, something that we can do better to work together better. Yeah, that is definitely a kind of long-standing frustration is that we sometimes struggle to... Um, either have access to or be within the same systems um we do try and work quite hard with our general medical practitioner colleagues to um link in up the information that we send back as much as possible but yeah i think i think it would be beneficial to link to be able to link all of that together perfect so just to round things off then this has really opened my eyes there's so much stuff here that's really interesting if there was one kind of message that you guys wanted to get across to us working in pediatrics or PZD what would it be and I realize I'm slightly putting you on the spot there um I well perhaps we could have one each I suppose mine would be um to um put importance on dental health so um trying to like encourage families to consider that it forms part of your overall health so definitely our pediatrician colleagues um to kind of ask the questions about dental health and seeing a dentist so that Mm. it's deemed to be something that's of significance with families rather than an afterthought yeah when health visitors go in after a child has been born they do it's especially oh they do talk about dentistry and have you registered and they have oral health promotion packs and things so it's it's starting to move that way so it's just continuing that as the child gets older and then I think my other thing, if I'm allowed oh, to, <laughs> um, would just be about simple messages from our medical colleagues about mm. um, prevention. So really simple things like 
brushing twice a day with a fluoridated toothpaste that's spat out and not rinsed. Don't rinse. Yeah. And um, reducing the consumption in terms of frequency of sugary foods and drinks with plain water and plain milk being the only two safe drinks. The best thing in between foods. So we always say kind of juice with meals if, if you want and kind of water and plain milk in between to give your teeth a break. And I think if we can home repeat that, that quite very, simple messaging simple message yeah. yeah then that would be really helpful absolutely i was just gonna say about trauma just to kind of that if a patient comes in with dental trauma don't panic and um you know part of your asking your questions is asking if they've got a dentist which hopefully they do and if the tooth has come out to try and pop it in or pop it pop it in milk straight away perfect um I know I said that was the last question, but you've just prompted me to put one more question about about rinsing and spitting. Why shouldn't you rinse? So, um, so I suppose an analogy would be that you wouldn't be likely to put an ointment onto your skin and then wash it off straight away. So the same same kind of thought mm. with toothpaste, really, which is mm. that you brush your teeth, you do a lot of good for your gums with the kind of mechanical action of brushing, but the other benefit is that you use a toothpaste with fluoride in it, which helps strengthen and protect your teeth. So if you do some vigorous r- rinsing with water afterwards, you're essentially spitting that oh, kind of helpful fluoride <laughs> yeah. down the sink. So um, it takes a bit chalky to start off with. It takes some getting used to. The message is the same for the whole family. Um, a good spit out and no rinsing. Perfect. Right. That's great. I really like that. So we need to start putting the teeth back into the body. We do indeed. I like that. So thank you so much, Jessica and Lucy. I really appreciate your time. I'm sure that'll generate lots of interest and lots of discussion uh, on on social media. Uh, But for now, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to download our podcast this week. If you enjoy our podcasts, please tell your friends and colleagues. And subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, our SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.